Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, let's turn to Acts chapter 18 and have a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, it's our prayer that your Holy Spirit would have absolute freedom to speak to each one of us, that we would let you in. We would lower the guard. We continue now in our worship. Our worship hasn't ended. Far from it. We give you our attention as you speak through this message in your word. And we pray that we might be attentive to those things that your spirit would teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it seems as though God was fed up with the world. And one of his last measures was to take three of the most influential people on the earth and fill them in on his end-time plan. So with a loud, thunderous boom, President George Bush, President Vladimir Putin of the Russian Federation, and Bill Gates were suddenly in God's presence. And he said, God said to them, I'm very disappointed with this world. And you have one week to tell your followers that it's going to end. So with another loud boom, President Bush, Vladimir Putin, and Bill Gates were back on earth. Immediately, President Bush got his cabinet together and said to them, I have good news and bad news. The good news, there is a God. The bad news, he's really, really mad and the world's going to end in one week. Vladimir Putin got his parliament together that same time and he said, Comrades, I have bad news and I have worse news. The bad news... We've been wrong. There is a God. The worst news, the world is going to end in one week. At the same time, Bill Gates got his top engineers together. And he said, I have good news and I have better news. The good news is that God thinks I'm one of the three most influential people in the world. (laughs) And the better news is that we don't have to fix all of our bugs in our programs. That was for you, Dale. What would it like to be a person of influence? Webster's Dictionary defines influence as to make an impact on someone, to shape or to even transform another person. Who has made an impact on your life? I want you to take a little test, a quiz, a mental quiz right now. First, name the five wealthiest people in the world. Two, name the last five Heisman Trophy winners. Number three, name the last five winners of the Miss America contest. Number four, name ten people who have won the Nobel or Pulitzer Prize. Number five, name the last half dozen Academy Award winners for Best Actor or Actress. And number six, name the last decade's worth of World Series winners. How'd you do, I wonder? 
Probably one or two of you or more could get one of those categories, but I doubt anyone has gotten all of them. When in fact, these are important people. These people have made a great impact. But the headliners of today will quickly be forgotten tomorrow. Now, the quiz continues. Number one, list a few teachers who have helped you through your journey in school. Number two, name three friends who have helped you through a difficult time. Number three, name five people who have taught you something worthwhile. Number four, think of five people you enjoy spending time with. And number five, name a half dozen heroes whose stories have inspired you. Now here's the, here's the bottom line. The people that have impacted you the most are probably not those with the most degrees, those with the most money, those with the most accolades. The people that have impacted you are people who have cared about you and have demonstrated their care in some capacity. Paul, the great apostle, the one we have been studying in this series, had been in Athens. After Athens, he walks 50 miles south to Corinth. A monumental challenge because of the kind of town Corinth was. Yet while he was in Corinth, altogether a year and a half, he made maximum impact on a city, on a Jewish population, Excuse me. (laughs) On a husband and wife team, we'll meet them in a minute, named Aquila and Priscilla. On young Timothy and Silas, his partner. He made maximum impact in that city through his life, and we're going to discover how. But here's the real question this morning for us. How can we make an impact on somebody else? How can we influence someone? You may never become a missionary or a worship leader or an evangelist. Could you, in the business world, at home, at school, or or let's even get narrower, what if you're confined to a hospital bed? Could your life make a difference? uh, The answer to that question is a resounding, absolutely. And this morning we want to look at how. We're going to quickly look in chapter 18 at at four ways to do it. Four ships, you might say, uh, on the sea of our world that can make a difference. Relationship is the first one. Worship. Apostleship. And hardship. We're going to look at those four this morning. Go back to verse 1 in chapter 18 of the book of Acts. Let's look at the first three verses. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy, and his wife Priscilla. Sort of a cute idea, huh? Aquila and Priscilla, husband and wife. Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. A little history. There had been recently in Rome an anti-Semitic stir 
that caused Jewish people in that town to be expelled from Rome and have to relocate to some other city. So Aquila and Priscilla, who were Jewish believers, were expelled from Rome and they set up shop in Corinth. Most people think that Paul didn't lead them to Christ, but rather they had become believers in Rome before they even met Paul the Apostle. Now, here's some other insight. A guy named Suetonius said that there was a riot that broke out in Rome that was what caused the Jews to be kicked out. And the riot, says this Roman historian, was over a man named Crestus. C-H-R-E-S-T-U-S. Crestus. And most scholars believe that that's a mispronunciation of Christos, that a Jewish riot over people coming to Christ broke out in Rome and it caused the Roman government just to kick them all out. So it could be that Aquila and Priscilla came to Christ already in Rome, met up with Paul in Corinth, and a relationship got struck up. Now they become very important to Paul. This is where they meet. But later on, they will be with him for quite some time. They'll be with him in Corinth. Later on, they'll be with him in Ephesus. Paul will say of them in Romans chapter 16, They are my fellow workers. They risk their own necks for my life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul will say, I greet Aquila and Priscilla and the church that meets in their home. But here in Corinth, when they first meet, Paul moves in with them into the same home. Verse 2, he came to them. Verse 3, it says, he stayed with them. Sort of a cool thought, isn't it? Let Paul live at your house for a year and a half. What an impact would that be? To watch this guy at home. But you know what? Home is the place of primary impact because we get to watch people in close proximity. It's the home where kids watch parents. It's the home where a child feels the love of mom and dad for the first time. It's in the home where the child sees that father and mother loving each other or not. It's in the home where that child sees the parents loving God or not, reading the Bible or not. One percent of a child's time will be spent in Sunday school. One percent. Seven percent of a child's time will be spent in school, school, public school, private school, their public education. But 92 percent of a child's time thus influence is from the home. Now think about that. Because sometimes we say, you know, the church needs a strong Sunday school program for my kids. And I'd agree with you. It's one of the things we've worked hard and I think we've done a good job in achieving. However, while that is important and we want to raise the flag of having good Sunday school department, I also want to raise the flag even higher of saying, we only have your child 1% of the time. You have that child 92% of the time. Let's say, let's have godly homes. Let's have a good curriculum in the home. Because that's the place of primary impact. Charles Spurgeon used to say, Before a child reaches seven, teach him all the way to heaven. 
And better yet, the work will thrive if he learns before he's five. So early on, in the home, maximum impact is made. Some years ago, a head coach, football coach, divorced his wife after 26 years of marriage. And he dumped his wife after he made the transition from coaching college football to being a head coach in the NFL. You know why? He said, I needed a wife while I was coaching college ball for social reasons. I wanted to be a good example to parents that I take care of their sons. But he said, in, in the NFL, I don't need a wife. In fact, he said a wife would be an unneeded accoutrement and a distraction to winning. And then this coach went on to say, the most important thing in my life, number one, is winning football games. But then he said, number two priority is my sons. Now, I would say your only priority is winning football games because if you loved your sons, you treat their mom with love because you're making an impact in those kids' lives on how to treat other people, especially a woman. So... The home, place of primary impact. I hope your home has priorities. I hope in your home you love Jesus and you love your spouse and you love your children and and they can see that. So relationship in the home, place of primary impact. But number two is working with people. Look at the third verse. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and he worked. For by occupation, they were skenapoyas, tent makers, workers with leather and with cloth. Now every, every rabbi had a profession, a trade, and, and Paul grew up making tents. So he comes to Corinth and he starts working in the secular field. By the way, Corinth was a commercial city. Uh, it was a place of trade. If you wanted to make a buck or a shekel, you'd go to Corinth. And it was so important, get this, you have to look at it geographically, but Corinth was located on this big peninsula called the Peloponnesian Peninsula. Say that ten times. It's a, it's a, a place connected and separated uh, from Greece by a narrow neck of land called an isthmus. It was three and a half miles wide, and then it broadened out into this big peninsula. You had one of two choices. If you wanted to get from the Adriatic to the Aegean Sea to Corinth, you could sail your ship 200 miles around, or they would take your boat and put it on wheels, drag it across land from one port to the other, Three and a half miles. You say, boy, these people are motivated if they're dragging boats out of the water three and a half miles. They were because of the importance of trade in that city. Here's the point. Aquila and Priscilla, who had a trade in that town, worked close with Paul and were able to watch the way he worked. What kind of conversations, what kind of ethics he had in the work world with other people. Well, next to the home, the workplace is a place of maximum impact. Simply because we spend half of our waking hours 
on the job. If you live to be 70 years old, you will have spent a total amount of time, 20 years of your life will be spent in working. No wonder you're so tired, right? But here's the point. Our place of occupation is the staging area, you might say, of the Christian life. It's where people get to watch us at a whole different level than in the home. You see, they wonder, well, how do Christians work? What are their work ethics like? They hear our casual conversations. They hear the kind of things we talk about, gossip about, complain about, love. They get to hear our personal evangelism, but more than anything else, they watch the way we work. And I think one of the greatest concerns of the believer ought to be doing a good job. It's a great witness. I had a friend that worked in a hospital with me, and he was, this was years ago, and he was an intern. His job was to get patients from the floors and bring them down. One of the things about this particular young Christian man is that the patients he brought down were always about 15 to 30 to 45 minutes late. So they started saying, you know, you're always late bringing these patients down. I, I got him aside. I said, what's the deal? He goes, well, I, I'm up on the floors and I just start witnessing to people. I said, that's really good. That's commendable. I'm glad you're an evangelist. Do it on your own time. What do you mean? I'm supposed to witness. You're right. But you're not being paid by the hospital to witness. You're being paid to get patients. So if you really love these people, come in early, take your lunch break, stay over late, and witness to them. But while you're here, be a good worker, because that's one of the best witnesses you can have for the gospel. Now, when you hear the word Stradivarius, what comes to mind? Besides violin. Do you think cheap? junk, $10 violin. No, you think quality, excellence, the best. You know why? It's because Antonius Stradivarius, the designer, believed that if any violin would leave his shop, it should be near perfect as humanly possible. He said, other men will make violins, but I'll make the best. And this is why, quote, God needs violins to send his music into the world. And if any of my violins are defective, God's music will be spoiled. So he instilled into his workers that threshold of quality work so that people would have maximum impact from the good work that they did. So relationship is the first level that we can all make an impact and influence on people's lives at home. And on the job. There's the second. Worship. In Corinth, in verse 4, they were able to watch Paul go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. In verse 11, he continued there 18 months teaching them the word of God. But look at verse 4. And Paul reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. If you were in Corinth on the Sabbath you would always see Paul there. He was there every, it says, Sabbath. So Paul displayed a consistent expression of worship. Wouldn't it be cool to watch Paul worship? Aquila and Priscilla saw him worship. Timothy and Silas, in the next verse, saw him worship. 
Now you might be thinking, but Skip, we're not supposed to watch other people worship. We're supposed to be focused on God. Yeah, you're right. We're supposed to, but we do. It's who we are. We do notice the way people worship. And frankly, I don't think it's all that bad to do so. I think it can be healthy. Because I think if we're in a group and we're always closing our eyes and always just, you know, it's us and God, and we can do that at home. The fact that we're together in a community can be very exciting to worship with other people and get how they're doing it. Also, I think it's it's very inspiring. It's wonderful to see people who are passionately in love. I love that. It's also great to watch people passionately in love with Jesus Christ. It can be very, very inspiring. Somebody said of us Americans that we've become a people, a generation who worship our work, work at our play, and play at our worship. Well, I'm suggesting don't do that. Display a different model. Show the people around you in your life, friends, co-workers, family especially, that you relate to God and you relate to His church by consistent worship. There's a study that was put out. It said if both mom and dad attend church regularly, there's a 72% chance that their children will remain faithful to God as they grow older. Those are high odds. However, if the dad only attends church regular, has a consistent expression of worship, and not the mother, there's a 55% chance the children remain faithful. Those are high odds. But, now listen dads, listen men, if the mom only remains consistent and faithful, then it drops down to a 15% chance that that child or children will remain faithful to the Lord as they grow older. So Paul, every Sabbath in the synagogue, doing what he does in his worship and his reasoning. And then in verse 11, and he continued there a year and six months, teaching the Word of God among them. Hey, there's another thought. How about taking what you learn and meeting with one or two people during the week and telling, teaching, sharing with them over breakfast or lunch or a co-worker when you have a break? Well, let's move on to a third way that you can make an impact on people, and that is apostleship. Now, I'm not saying that you're all apostolic, but the word apostle means to be sent out. That's simply what Paul was, somebody sent out. And he was sent out by the church in Antioch. He was, you could say, the first foreign missionary. And in verse 1, he comes to Corinth. Why? Is he on vacation? No, he's there to what? Preach the gospel. That's what his life is all about. So Paul's life was a living example of a person who is sold out to Jesus Christ. And that made an impact. Because, you see, people would have heard of his boldness. Boy, here's a guy, he's not scared to go anywhere. He'll even go to Corinth and Athens. And they will hear that he gets arrested, and he gets hurt, and he gets put in prison. And that will inspire them as they see a guy who goes out. Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 1, and he says, 
Most of the brethren have become confident in my chains and are much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. Did you get that? They hear Paul's in jail again because he's gone out as an apostle. He's been arrested. Boy, that gives me confidence to share the word right where I'm at. So Paul's going out gave them inspiration to speak out. And he goes to Corinth, a very lewd place and immoral place. Let me tell you about Corinth. Corinth had next to it a, a hill called the Acro-Corinth. And on top of the hill was a temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love, which employed a thousand priestesses, they were prostitutes, slaves, who would go into the city every night and ply their worship trade, their prostitution on the met of the city. It was so rampant, sexual immorality, that as you saw in the video, to play the Corinthian, Corinthiedzestai, was a, a word that had been used of an immoral lifestyle. Oh, you're a Corinthian, you're so bad. You know, it's like, whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Same with Corinth. It had that kind of a reputation. Paul went there. Paul allowed himself to be sent out even here. Let me say, if you're a missionary here today, maybe you're on furlough, maybe you're about to go out as a missionary, maybe you're listening on the webcast or radio and you're a missionary, how inspired we are by the fact that you would leave the comforts of the United States and go to another place to reorient, to transition, and to share your faith there. That's an inspiration to us. As it was back then. Paul's apostleship made an impact on people's lives. David Livingstone was a missionary to Africa, a medical missionary. He gave his life for that country. When Livingstone died, he was, his body was sent back to London for burial in Westminster Abbey. I have stood in Westminster Abbey on his tombstone and read it. And the day of his funeral, his casket was being paraded through London, throngs of people were there to watch this great missionary's funeral. One man in the crowd who saw the casket of David Livingstone come forward started weeping and started crying convulsively. And a man in the crowd noticed it and said, did you know David Livingstone? He said, I knew him well. We were boyhood friends in fact, we grew up together. In fact, we both went to Africa together. He said, David Livingstone went for Africa's souls. I went there for Africa's gold. And today I realize that I have concentrated on the wrong world. Here's a man in a casket who made a maximum impact by going out. And I have spent all of my life on my own stuff. I've concentrated on the wrong world. Well, Paul not only went out, but he spoke out. Look at verse 4. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Hey, wouldn't it be cool to watch Paul witness. 
It'd be, it'd be just fun. Hey, let's go to the synagogue with Paul. You know he's going to start talking to people. He's a visiting rabbi. And he'd stand up in the synagogue and start sharing his faith. And you got to know that watching Paul share his faith made an impact. When I first dated my wife, Lenya, one night I said, Lenya, let's go out street witnessing. She said, what does that mean? I said, it means we're going to walk up to people on the streets or on the pier. And we're just going to start talking to them. And we'll talk to them about Jesus. Now, she was saved from an atheistic background. And the idea of somebody just walking up and sharing, it's like, whoa. I said, tell you what, you don't have to say anything. Just come with me and watch and pray. So we'd walk up to people, talk to them. And by the end of the night, two or three people gave their lives to Christ. Toward the end of the night, she said, I want to try. (laughs) And she did and became very effective at it. And as other people watch you speak out, it inspires them. And I hope you are speaking out. You might say, no, I like to live my witness. Well, it's great. Hopefully you're a wonderful person and you live a good witness. But let's say you're a wonderful person and you live a wonderful witness. If you never tell people why you're such a wonderful person, how's that going to help? Jesus said, don't put your light under a bushel. Wherever you work, whatever you do, you're a student, you work in an office, you work in a car, you're, you're working by phone, use your voice to tell them. You see, secret discipleship won't work. E- either the secrecy will destroy the discipleship or the discipleship will destroy the secrecy. So the impact of watching Paul. Finally, and we close with this, hardship. This is our... Uh, the least of our favorite topics, hardship. This is what I mean. You will influence people. You will make maximum impact on people's lives if they watch you suffer well. Not watch you suffer. We all suffer. Some of us don't do it very well. Some of us do it with lots of complaining. But some do it well. And that makes an impact. And they were able to watch Paul's response to the resentment as well as to the reassurance by Jesus Christ. Verse 6, When they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he did. He departed from there, entered into the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all of his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Now, Now listen to what Jesus says to him. Do not be afraid, but speak. Do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Evidently, Paul, when he came to Corinth, was having a rough time. He felt intimidated and he felt afraid because you don't tell a person, don't be afraid, unless they're afraid. I mean, you walk up to a person happy and giddy, and you go, hey, don't be afraid. Doesn't make sense. Paul, when he came to Corinth, 
had not a confident feeling like, I am the great apostle, listen to me. He felt very weak and very intimidated and very fearful. Now, I know that not only from what I read here in these last two verses, but because he said that to the Corinthians. Second Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech, declaring to you the testimony of God, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. But, what would it have been like to watch Paul in weakness, fear, and trembling and to learn from that? For instance, what would it have been like in Philippi? Paul gets beat up, thrown in jail, and then you hear, did you hear what happened to Paul last night? At 12 midnight, he was singing praises to God. Wow, really? Or Paul, when he was in Rome and thrown in jail, and he writes back to the Philippians and he said, Hey, don't worry about me. Me being here allows me to witness to prison guards, and the gospel is being furthered. That's how I see my prison stay. Wow. Or young Timothy reading Paul's final letter, 2 Timothy, where Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. The impact of a life that had gone through suffering, but suffered in a godly way, in a righteous way. And Paul knew that. Paul knew that to model suffering in a godly way was more powerful than words. Listen to what he writes to these Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. When we are weighed down with troubles, it's for your benefit. When God comforts us, it's so that we in turn can be an encouragement to you so that you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. Modeling suffering to people in a godly manner makes them step back and go, wow, now that guy, that gal, they live the Christian life. They're not just a Christians on the weekend, but when it's really tough, that's impressive. Folks, listen. God has editing rights over your life. In other words, you might plan your day, you might plan your week, you might plan your whole life. Don't you know God can come in and splice and cut and say, No, I don't want those plans. Here's my plans. It involves a huge change. You're not going there, you're going there. You're not going to do that, you're going to do that. And, in fact, it's going to hurt. But, if you patiently endure that suffering, that pain, what an impact you'll make on other people. So they were able to observe Paul's relationship at home, at work. Paul's worship in the synagogue and as he taught for a year and a half. They were able to watch Paul's apostleship as he went out and as he spoke out. And they were able to observe his hardship as he endured the suffering for Christ. I think if you were to give Aquila and Priscilla that same test we started out with, Let's say you said, Aquila, Priscilla, um, name the last five Roman senators. They'd say, I don't know. Can you name the last ten Olympic runners in Athens or the Isthmian game winners in Corinth? No. 
Okay, Aquila, Priscilla. Name a person who has been an inspiration to you and helped you through some difficult times who has really influenced your life. I think on the top of their list, they would have said Paul the Apostle. Because the way he modeled his life... By the way, Harvard University did a study. How to get people to change effectively. They discovered something interesting. The most effective way to get people to change is by modeling. I don't mean getting on a runway strutting clothes. I mean being an example, modeling your life for people. As people watch the life of another person close up, that becomes the most effective way to change. Do you want to make an impact? I do. Boy, I don't want to get to the end of my life and start crying and saying, I concentrated on the wrong world. I want to be able to say, I fought the good fight. I ran the race. I kept the faith. More than that, I inspired others. Well, you know, if you want to be an influence, if you want to be an inspiration, if you want to make maximum impact in an eternal sense, in a spiritual sense, you got to first be spiritual, right? It's like the old recipe I found on how to cook a rabbit. Speaking of the rabbit. <laughs> Instruction number one, first catch the rabbit. That makes sense. If you're going to make a spiritual impact on people, first be spiritual. And let me just suggest to you that if you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, you might be a wonderful person in this community. You might do all sorts of philanthropic, wonderful things. But if you want to make a difference forever in a person's life, then get close to Jesus Christ. Love Him. Live for Him. And model that. All the difference in the world. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we have a very limited amount of time on this earth. A very short span, not only to live, but to let those who observe the way we live in our relationship, in our worship, in our apostleship, in our hardship. And Lord, I pray that in all of these areas, your Spirit would search us. And I pray that we would be committed to you. And that commitment would be reflected in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.